evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get successful. This is Tyler Tischler for Superior Book Promotions, filling in for Irene Watson of Reader Views. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I'd like to welcome all our listeners to episode number 152 in our series. Tonight's topic will be Selling Books at Fairs and Festivals with special guest Sabrina K. Carpenter. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. We'd love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Now, tonight we are on the line with Sabrina K. Carpenter, who is a cancer survivor, professional writer, motivational speaker, author, literacy coach, entrepreneur, mother, radio show host, spoken word poet, publisher, and philanthropist. She has inspired and motivated thousands of people with her ability to evoke heartfelt emotion through stories of growth and perseverance. In 2006, she founded her professional writing firm, Perfected Pen Incorporated, which specializes in business writing services from editing, website content, business plans, motivational speaking, press releases, and much more. In 2010, she launched a publishing division of Perfected Pen, fulfilling an obvious gap in the land of books, where she does manuscript consultation, editing, and book publishing and design. Carpenter founded her children's literacy program, Eager Readers, Brighter Writers, in 2011. Traveling across the country, she encourages the natural quest for knowledge within children through fun and interactive reading groups and writing workshops. She has authored two books of her own thus far, a collection of poetry entitled Betting on 1% and a dynamic children's book, The Adventures of Isaiah, James, Beach Boy. Her latest book of poetry and CD, Painted Faces, will be debuting in early 2012. Well, good evening, Sabrina. It's so nice to be on. Thank you, guys, for allowing me to talk about this topic tonight. Yeah, welcome, Sabrina. I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear what you have to say. Um, we were talking before the show, and you were telling us about being in Florida and uh, different events that you've done there. And Victor and I have both done a lot of events here in Michigan and around the Midwest. So um, we'd like to find out a little bit about how they're similar and how they're different and what your experiences have been. Absolutely. Um, can, can we start out by uh, telling us uh, just kind of some of the, the events that you usually do, the types of different events? I typically target um, anywhere from craft shows and art shows, any type of family event. Um, I, I always try to go for events that have a previous history of bringing in really great crowds, and you have to know your target audience also, and that's a really important thing of knowing which events to choose. Yeah, that's one of our uh, our first questions for you. Really, is um, how do you decide which event is right for you? I've I've gone to everything from oh, Renaissance festivals, to history conferences, and uh, book festivals, and uh, I've even been invited to things like um, class reunions to sell my books. So how how yeah. do you how do you decide? Is every invitation one that you should you should accept or no? <laughs> Um, definitely as an author, you want to try to get your book out there and to as many people as you possibly can. But writing books is also a business, so you kind of have to keep that in the back of your head at all times and 
trust me, it's a learning process trying to determine which events are good for you, which may not be so good for you. And it's all trial and error, but, you know, if I can offer a little bit of advice to take a little bit of the error out for other authors, then I'm happy to do so. Um, One of the probably the most important things for me now, having done so many events, is knowing the history behind the event. What kind of crowd has it drawn before? What kind of demographic um, tends to be at this particular event? And what is your target audience? You know, have you written a children's book? Then you'll probably do fairly well at a family-type function, a fair, a festival, some sort of art show that brings both parents and children out into the town and that draws a really strong crowd. Um, You know, if it's a biker rally, your children's book might not necessarily do so well. Just to kind of give an example, it's just really trying to figure out, um, you know, where your time is going to be best spent. Um, Another really uh, important part is to know um, the type of advertising that the event is known for doing. Are they actively out there in the papers and doing commercials and, you know, local radio shows? How do they promote the event? Do they really stand behind the vendors that participate? Or do they just say, here's what we're going to do. We're hoping it turns out well. Because their level of commitment ultimately is going to affect your success at the event, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, and especially I'm thinking about when you mention um, advertising for events. We, we've all heard about how uh, the bookstore is sometimes the worst place to try to sell a book, and uh, yeah. a bookstore will have you do a book signing, and how is, you know, you, it, it's harder to advertise um, being at an event like a craft show as a book signing. And what, like, what would you say are the differences there and how you have to treat the, the event and how you treat the crowd that's coming in? You know, I treat advertising um, of any event that I'm going to be um, participating in as my own, whether it's my own, uh, you know, personal book signing or whether I'm just participating in a larger function. There are, I'm the host of a local radio show in Vero Beach, Florida, and I have authors on all the time on my show promoting events they're going to, you know, what's new and upcoming, and I charge no fee. And there are a lot of free advertising opportunities that are typically available in most communities, whether it's on radio, whether you're submitting your own press releases to local publications, um, that you really need to take care of, that you need to take care to nurture as an author. A lot of us have small marketing budgets, so we need to make every dollar count, and any free publicity that we can give ourselves is certainly welcome. Great. Let's uh, talk about some nuts and bolts here. I have paid any everything from nothing to $300 for a table. How do you mm-hmm. decide what's a good value for your money? It really all depends on your particular marketing budget and what your time is worth. Um, A a factor that comes into play for me personally is how busy am I right now? Am I completely swamped and I'm just barely fitting this event in? Because then it needs to kind of be um, a lot of bang for my buck. If I'm a little bit, if I tend to be a little bit slower season and I have the time to spare, and it's maybe a new event that really intrigues me that has a lot of possibility in my eyes, I'll take the extra little plunge 
to try it out and see how it goes. So it, it all really depends on the situation at the time. Sure, that makes sense. Let's talk about uh, the importance of the venue itself. Some of my well, my two worst events were probably, one was Saturday morning in a high school gymnasium, and another was a weekend day at a community college where, you know, everyone goes home, there's no classes on Saturday. Uh, what should I look for or look out for? Well, for me, living in Florida, um, the time of year plays a part and the weather. I've done events in the middle of Florida summer days. <laughs> 95 plus degrees outside, 100% humidity, you're near miserable just because you're so hot. It doesn't draw a big crowd out there because a lot of people are trying to stay in the air conditioning or trying to, you know, do more pool activities to stay cool. So the weather does play a part. And the same thing if you live in in a colder climate, if it's in the middle of the winter where you tend to get three foot snowstorms on a regular basis, you'll have to kind of keep that in mind also. Mopping up water off my books is about the most miserable thing I've ever done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and I've done uh, shows where, I mean, here in Michigan we get blizzards, and you, you do a three-day Christmas show, and there's a storm that weekend, and nobody comes. And, you and know, sometimes you that's a chance know. you have to take, you know, especially yeah. around the holidays. The holidays are a great time to really try to put a, a final push on your book for, for holiday orders, but... You know, sometimes you do have to take that leap of faith and just, you know, hope for the best. You can't you can't control Mother Nature, of course, but you do want to think of it somewhat strategically um, when you're considering the time of year and the location that it's going to take place, whether inside or outside. How how about you mentioned um, deciding if it was worth your worth your while in terms of your time. Um, mm-hmm. How how do you do that? Do you put a dollar amount on your time and say, I need to sell this many books in this many hours to, you know, make this much money to make this event worthwhile? Or, I, I mean, I've been at events where I've only sold one book, but I sold the book to the right person who had, like, connections with the friends of the library who got the whole library book club then to read my book. Yeah. So in that way it paid off. So how how do you how do you determine what is and what isn't a successful event? I always go into every event with some sort of goal. Um, and, of course, that's a number that you can't necessarily control, is whether it's the amount of books you want to sell, the amount of contacts you want to make. I always have um, a sign-up sheet at my booth so that I can collect information, email addresses and so forth, to keep people, even if they come to my booth and don't actually purchase a book that day, at least they can collect their information and keep them informed of um, some of the updates, new books that are coming out, any promotions that are going on. So for me, um, a success isn't necessarily always just a book sale, but it's like you mentioned, also the connections that you make in the process. So if you talk to people, you know, the biggest thing is to talk to people that have done a particular event before. How did you do? Did you find it was worthwhile? Did you have good book sales or did you make just really great connections? Maybe it was a complete flop. And being able to correspond with other people in your area that have history with that event will also help you judge what success is going to mean for you at that particular event. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense to me, I, especially, you know, asking people ahead of time and not necessarily the organizers about the event. Um, 
how do you know, uh, well, after the event is over, how do you decide if you're going to go back to that event or not? Because I've had a lot of them um, that are kind of kind of borderline. Like if I had sold mm-hmm. one or two more books, I'd think it was a success, but one or two less, and I would have called it a flop. Right. So what, when, when do you decide to, to repeat an event, I guess is what I'm asking. I guess, you know, for me, if I see steady growth in the event, if it's just sort of borderline, like, okay, it was all right, but it could have been better. I'm not sure if I would do this again. If you see that the growth of the crowd was X percent over the year prior, then you know that they're still building their audience and that there may be potential for the following year or following month, however however frequent they hold um, their particular event. And that's sort of how I judge it is, is there potential in the event itself? You know, can you grow along with them, or is it an event that's maybe on the downhill that's slowly declining? Then, of course, you don't want to be part of that because it's not going to get better. Great. Sabrina, let's talk about what makes for an attractive booth setup. Can you just describe what you've got maybe in terms of, I don't know, what do you have, posters? you have a custom mm-hmm. tablecloth? Do you have uh, props on your uh, table? What does it look like? My booth typically consists of a very um, neat table with a skirt, you know, table skirt around it. I have two banners, two vertical banners that I put on one on each side advertising each of my books. And I keep it, I keep my booth space fairly simple. Typically at events where you're having, you know, walking traffic, their attention span's pretty short. And they're not going to spend a lot of time hanging out with you and reading through a plethora of information that you put out for them. So I try to keep it really neat and simple. I have copies of each of my books out. I have some basic promotional material out. But for me, the most important thing is that I'm interacting with every single person that walks by. I'm smiling. I'm saying good morning to them. I'm engaging them. And I think what you can say verbally is going to speak 10 times more than having a table overloaded with marketing materials. Great. That kind of leads me to my next question is, you know, opening gambits for conversation and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Do you have any, any tips for people who are normally, you know, not usually the first person to speak? Yes, because truthfully, that's my nature is I tend to be, In my personal life, I'm very shy. In personal social situations, I'm quiet and I'm shy. But when it comes to business, it's almost like an alter ego. I started out years ago forcing myself to start conversations and to really engage people. And I learned that once others saw how passionate I was about my books, about my businesses, about whatever it is that I'm promoting at the time, that they were on board almost instantly. And probably the biggest lesson is really just to make yourself uncomfortable until it stops being uncomfortable because you do have to be able to interact with people and allow people to truly see what you love most. And if it's writing your books and and promoting your books, you have to be able to show that to others. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. Passion sells. You know, people can tell if you care about what you're doing. (laughs) Absolutely. Sometimes it only takes a matter of a moment for people to determine whether you're full of it or <laughs> or if you really know what you're doing and absolutely love it. Do you, Sabrina, do you have any um, ideas for like like hooks to draw people in or what, what is a good opening line to say to them? Um, 
not everybody will agree with this. But I I don't I don't do lines. I don't really go in with any preconceived way to engage people. I'm just myself. I'm I'm very I you'll always see me with a smile on my face. I'll always tell you good morning. I'll always ask how you're doing. And when people see that you generally you know, genuinely care about them and that you're genuinely a happy person and excited to be there, that will tend to keep them at your booth for a little bit longer. And then you can sort of engage them more about the books that you've written, maybe how you began the journey writing your books. Um, For my children's book, it was inspired by the birth of my first son, Isaiah. And after my cancer treatment, first I wasn't supposed to survive cancer. And then after that, I was never supposed to have children. So his birth was extremely inspiring for me. And once people, you're able to give a little bit of that personal information, people are really drawn to you. And, you know, they, they have a sense of attachment to your book at that time. So I don't, I don't ever go in with a, a line or a catchphrase or anything like that. I just try to be genuinely open and happy towards others. And how do you deal with people who, I mean, when, if they seem uninterested to you, do you try to just kind of draw them in some more, or do you just let them go, or do, do, is there a way to read people, do you think, when they come up to your booth? I think so. Um, I, I think there are, are some individuals that just genuinely don't want to be bothered, <laughs> and, you know, I'll try two or three times to engage them in just conversation, not even a hard sell or anything along those lines, just to engage them in some sort of conversation. And after two or three times, if they're really uninterested, I will let them go. But there are others that have a harder sell than I do also, and that's part of their natural personality, and it may work better for them. So I think you have to work within the boundaries of where you feel most comfortable. Okay. And um, one other question I had about about dealing with the public is... um, uh, one of the talking points you gave us was about toxic people. Can you explain to us what you <laughs> meant by toxic people? Yes. We are, <laughs> unfortunately, all surrounded by toxic people on a, a very regular basis, people that uh, enjoy being miserable, people that don't want to see you succeed, people that dwell in negativity, And those are people you need to eliminate (laughs) from your personal space because it is exactly that. It's it's toxic and it's contagious and that negativity will rub off on you after some time. And I always make it my goal to surround myself both in my personal life and in my business life with positive people, people with strong goals, people that are always trying to to do better for themselves, people that enjoy helping their community, um, whatever the similarities may be, you want to have people that are going to uplift you and not constantly bring you down. And I hope that I can be that same uplifting person for someone else. So you always have to make sure that whether you're working alone at a booth or collaborating with other authors, that you're surrounding yourself with people that are positive and that share the same goals that you do. Okay. That, I, I totally agree with that, but it's it's not quite what I expected that you were going to say. I, when, you, when I thought of toxic people, I thought about the people that 
um, maybe they'll come up to your booth and they'll tell you their life story for half an hour and, and all the while your other customers can't get near your booth. <laughs> so do you have any suggestions <laughs> for what to do with those people? Yes, those those are also very, very toxic people. Um, what I try to do is to politely, uh, oh gosh, I've had this happen so many times, <laughs> you know, just politely try to pause the conversation and say, you know what, I've, you know, just try to diffuse it. You know what, I've been through some of these rough times too. I can completely relate. And then try to engage the other people that are trying to get to your booth or trying to get information into a group conversation opposed to just focusing on that one person that just wants to tell you their whole life story and my life is miserable. <laughs> Okay. Well, that that sounds good. A group conversation that that should work. I think that would make one person drift off as you as you get new people into your area. Let's talk about, or have we already covered what you mean by the face of marketing? Hmm. Yeah, the face of marketing. You know, we as a society have become so involved in technology, and it's a blessing and a curse <laughs> all at the same time. But Really, I, the face of marketing for me is still so important. I want to make sure that I'm getting out there and meeting some of my fans face-to-face. I want to be talking with the people within my community face-to-face. Um, there's a level of interest and, like I mentioned previously, passion that people can't necessarily get from information on your website or a bio on, you know, another page or you know, just information that's listed on a social media account. There's something still to be said, and maybe I'm a little old-fashioned still, but <laughs> I really believe that that face-to-face encounter still makes a big difference and that overall people really enjoy that. I think, um, you know, our community still loves to see a local author show up at an event and like, wow, you know, somebody that lives right here was capable of this kind of success and dreams and it's something you know there's still something to be said for getting to meet people face to face and not hiding behind a computer and and really being able to show your personality and to be yourself awesome now let's talk about uh branding and mm-hmm. and events how does this all work together typically when we're talking about events i I recommend that other authors determine ahead of time what they are branding. Are they going to go in branding themselves or branding their book? And that's a question that a lot of authors never even really consider. And sometimes it gets muddled together. But in my experience, it's much more powerful to figure out which one you actually want to brand, and it will make your presentation much stronger. For me, I brand myself. Um, my cancer survival, my infertility, a lot of, um, you know, building my businesses and writing my books. It's all a very compelling story, and people love to root for a survivor. They love to know that it's possible to come from an awful place of no hope and be able to become successful and happy in life. And so I choose to brand myself, my life. And in turn, I'm able to discuss my books and promote my businesses and whatever it is I'm doing at this particular event. But by branding myself, that's how I draw my crowd into all the endeavors that are going on with me. There are 
plenty of opportunities to brand your just your book where your personal life doesn't come into it at all. It's just all about your book where you can really talk about your characters. You can really discuss the awards your book has won and, you know, specifically brand your book instead of yourself. But you can see how it would get confusing for others if you're trying to do both. So it's really, really important to determine ahead of time and get a strong game plan on whether you determine it's best to brand yourself or to brand the book. Great. That was well said. Now, we've been talking a lot about uh, public events, your your fairs and uh, craft shows and so on, but you can actually create your own sort of one-person show by uh, going in and doing school events. Why don't you tell us about some of your school event experiences? Well, I um, because I have a young children's book, I do um, story times at local daycares and schools, uh, libraries. I travel around the country with my um, literacy program, Eager Readers, Brighter Writers, and I'm hired by um, schools from the elementary level all the way up through high school, um, participating in college events, and it's it's. The market is there no matter what genre your book is in. It's possible to think outside of the box and know your target audience so strongly that you're capable of, you know, pursuing opportunities no matter where they may lie. And they'll open, they'll welcome you with open arms, you know, nine times out of ten. Once they know about your book, they know how strongly that, you know, you promote it yourself. And schools are wonderful for me. I have been very fortunate to have nothing but fantastic experiences with schools on every different level. Well, that sounds really inspiring. Let's talk about how do I get an in as as a new author? I don't know anyone at the school. Do I call assistant principal or how do I approach the school? What I typically do is a lot of Schools still have a literacy coach or a literacy leader. They'll have different specific titles. And that's typically the person that I will go for first. More times than not, the principal and assistant principals are overly busy with a million different things going on. But if you can, um, you know, a lot of times you can get that information simply from the school's website. And you can start in your local community. And if you're trying to promote a young children's book at the elementary level, I would go to every elementary school's website, see if they have a specific literacy coach or English department leader, something along those those sorts, and start there. And once you have their attention, because that's their goal, that's their job, is to inspire literacy within the kids. And if you can hook them and get their attention, then they're going to bring that information to the assistant principal or principal without wasting a lot of extra time on the, the principal's level. So that's where I tend to start, and I've had very, very good luck doing it that way. So they're they're kind of the equivalent of the the customer relation or community relations manager at a bookstore, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> that's that's a that's an unbelievable parallel. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Sabrina, I wanted to ask you one more question. When you were talking about branding yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we were talking about toxic people, you talked about um, not doing an event with a toxic person. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. if 
does uh, does branding yourself, does that mean that it's better to do an event by yourself, or do you think that you can get more draw if you advertise that there's going to be, you know, six authors at an event rather than just yourself? How how Where do you... Where do you draw the line there? Which do you think is more effective? It's it's. I don't know that one is more effective than the other. I think it depends on your personality and the, how well you know the other authors that you may collaborate with. Have you worked with them in some capacity in the past? Do you know what their goals are, what they're looking to get out of it? Are there some um, big names that may be able to draw a crowd of its own to kind of bring people to your booth? Or do you tend to work better by yourself? And whether you actually brand, um, you know, yourself or your book, the capability of working with a group is always there because everybody is branding their own individual um, entity, whether it is themselves or their book. So that doesn't, that won't hinder a group um, event. But personally, I, I do better working by myself. I I drive myself to interact more because, as I mentioned, I tend to be more naturally shy. And when I have other people working with me, I tend to resort to that shyness instead of forcing myself to be more outgoing and interacting with people. So I'm better doing an event by myself, and I've learned this through experience doing it both ways. But I do better by myself because it does force me to be more of an extrovert and it does force me to interact with the crowd more and just genuinely have um, conversations with the people that are passing by. But it's a judgment call. And, again, it depends on your personality and if your goals match up with these other authors. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. And I, I think the first few events that I did with other authors – was probably a good way for me to observe them and learn from them. Exactly. I, I think you're you're absolutely right that when I'm with another author, because I tend to be an introvert too, mm-hmm. I kind of will let them sort of talk to the customer. I know. Selling more <laughs> books than I sell, which I'm happy for them to sell the books that they can, but you kind of want some balance. So. Right. Yeah, and that's a great word, balance. It's it's really all a balancing act, and there's no you know there's no how to guide that's going to make every event absolutely perfect for you every time. But if you can you know take guidance from those who have um, you know been there, done that, and learned some things, every little tidbit of information helps all of us. Well, well, great, Sabrina. It's it's been great having you as a guest, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your website and uh, how people can get a hold of you if they want to find out more about you. Absolutely. I have three websites. The first is www.sabrinakcarpenter.com, and that lists everything from all of my different businesses and my books and my literacy program. It's basically a synopsis of everything that I'm doing at the moment, and then there's www.perfectedpen.com, and that's for my professional writing firm. And then we have perfectedpenpublishing.com, which is my publishing division. And anybody can reach me by phone at, at any time at 772-584-2451 or via email at customerservice at perfectedpen.com. Great. And thank you on behalf of Irene, who couldn't be here. I'm sure she'll be very sorry she missed this one. <laughs> this is genuinely my pleasure. It was it was so nice, and I wish you both the best of luck. 
Great. And this has been another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Stay tuned for the next episode, Writing and Self-Publishing Cookbooks with special guest Ruby D. We would love to hear from you about tonight's show. Please send us your questions and comments to info at authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And filling in for Irene Watson of Reader Views, this is Tyler Tischler and Mark at Michigan. And I'm Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.